What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. I'm Rob, the kid who makes this podcast, and I am super excited to announce that this podcast is supported by Wireframe, a podcast about creativity and design. This might be my new favorite podcast. I am obsessed with the show. I have been binge listening. I'm not even sure if that's a thing, but that's what I've been doing. Wireframe is awesome. Rate, review, and subscribe. Before I say any of this, trust me, you want this podcast in your life. It's a show made for creative professionals, graphic designers, UX designers, illustrators, typographers, artists, activists, or even if you have no idea what you want to do and you're just you know, design curious, this is a great place to start. Uh, one of my favorite episodes that I listened to was called Does Burger King's New Logo Make You Nostalgic? And they talk about the role of nostalgia in design. Alicia Smith, who was recently on Meet the Creatives, was on there. Rafa Abreu. It's so cool to see so many of my friends um, kind of weigh in on this show. And it's really, really fun. The show is hosted by Koi Vin, who is the principal designer at Adobe and one of Fast Company's most creative people in business. And the people who are on the show are really funny and have a great sense of humor. And it's really like light and fun. It's legit. I'm really proud and happy to be partnering with them. So definitely check it out. Uh, Later on in the show today, I will be sharing another episode that I love. This episode today is amazing. I hope you love it. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today I am here with Colin Watkinson, director of photography, cinematographer, uh, great all-around guy already. We are hitting it off just swell here. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on the show. Great to meet you, Rob. I posted about your recent work of The Handmaid's Tale, and I had friends on Facebook who I haven't heard from in 10 years coming out of the woodwork saying that that was their favorite show. But you've also worked on on Entourage, you, I, I looked at your website, you did, uh, I'm actually a big NASCAR fan. You did a commercial with uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I thought that was That's what I cool. did, yeah. 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 Did you meet I, him? I, went, is, is I did cool? another commercial <laughs> in Charlotte for Craftsman. Yeah. I got to go to a NASCAR shop, you know, where they sort of make the cars and everything, got a full uh, lesson in NASCAR sort of, you know, build structure. It was fascinating. So let's get right into it. I know it's kind of a cliche question to start things off, but you know, first camera, was it lighting that got you there? Was it film? How did this all start? I mean, for me, it started by chance. It was a stroke of luck that I got offered a job as a runner, or there was a job as a runner going at the special effects house. You know, I was definitely on a different path at that time and then decided to take this job running the film Kandran Soho. I'd always been you know, a lover of film and even special effects, funny enough, you know, since Star Wars. But never thought of it as, as a career. Just didn't think it was an option coming from Liverpool. But um, which is weird now because Liverpool is so much shooting going on. There's so much filmmaking going on there. It's a real sort of hub. Right. At the time when I I left in the 80s, it wasn't. So yeah, and it was just when I got into Peerless, and it was just it was just fascinating. You know, it was I couldn't believe I was getting paid to do this. And you know, it was hard work. But you know, everyone was give would give so much, um, teach you as much as they want, you know, as you wanted, and. I, they had a motion control studio, which that was like the first time I saw film, you know, uh, I guess a film camera in, in action on a motion control. And then other, other, and then in those times, other people would come into the studio and use the studio. And I sort of, I got to experience, you know, uh, professional filmmaking. And I just thought that's, I want to be in the camera department. You know, I got, I got taken out to shoots and stuff. And I just really wanted to be in that department. They were right in the thick of it. And it looked like the most exciting place to be on the set. 
And that's why I sort of set myself that way. You know, I was a camera assistant at Peerless and then left there and then tried, you know, basically sort of wedged my way into the industry being a camera assistant, doing still doing motion control and uh, but then trying to get into just normal filming to be a clapper loader. It, it took a it took a moment, but I, I got there and you know slowly. And uh, so that was my route in. You know, there was, there was no like I had a camera from eight years old or right. I moved up <laughs> photography. You know, yeah. there was none of that. You know, I used to take photographs and you know, I, I got my first the guys at Peerless bought me a camera, a Minolta, mm-hmm. when I was 19, I think, or 20, just before I went off on my travels. So I guess they bought me my first camera. Yeah, the people that actually you know, trained me bought my first camera as well to go out and take pictures, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Now, how long was that period? Because one of the things that I want to try and get across, because people will like just graduate, they'll be like a year or two out of school. And that's, you know, who this podcast is for, people that are just entering the field or maybe they just switch careers and they want to start out. But I'm, I've been trying to get across for my audience as well as for my, I'm also trying to reassure myself. How many years did it take before you really got that first real gig? Because I think that people think that it happens in like two years. And a lot of times I hear five, 10, 15. You know, it's funny, it, even at the time back then, it was still, it, you know, the runner was the way in. So in Soho, the production companies have runners, editors have runners. And I would see a runner go in six months, jump up and get a proper job. But my boss didn't do that. His runners were two years. Right. It just and it was just that he liked you to like really know the stuff before you got a proper job, right? Um, and then even though when I got my job in Peerless, it was like you know I've got a proper job, but then I wanted to prove it to prove it into the outside world. That was a, like a different thing, you know. And I remember it was like after traveling, coming back and say, right now I'm going to be a freelance. People are going to pay me, and it is scary, you know. And I, you know, it's and yeah, it's like. I remember, you know, you, you've got to keep all your contacts up. You've got to be nice and try and get, you know, present yourself to get people to put you on the payroll. Right. And so I guess, it, you know, I did three and a half years at Peerless. And I remember, you know, in those early times when I was still a runner after, you know, after a year and I'd seen friends move up. That, that was the time it's like, well, do I stick with this and see it through? Right. And I, I decided to. I was like, okay, I'm invested in this. This is great. I didn't, you know, a year ago, I didn't have this at all. And I could see it was a big journey. And then, you know, even then going to be a clapper loader, it's like, well, how long do you be a clapper loader for? And it was like, oh, five, six years, you know, then you can be a focus puller. <laughs> you know, these are like, they're like uh, milestones. Well, it was, that's, again, that's how I decided to look at it. You know, right. I'll, I'll be a clapper loader and I'll be a focus puller. I didn't really think beyond that. Um, so when I got to focus puller, I was like, well, this is great. Happy here. You know, right. I was had a good chunk of work coming or I was you know, doing well with work. I'm a great old time, you know, and then it was like, well, so, you know, we should, you know, do you put on like the short film? It was like, okay, did that, did another one, you know, and then it sort of starts gathering pace, you know, people like, you know, start using you. And then it's like, oh, now do I have to change to be a DP? Do I want to do that? That's a big, that's a much bigger deal than being a, or a different deal to being a focus puller. Right. It goes from technical to creative. Even though there's a lot of creative in focus pulling, that's, that's, Put that straight right now there is a lot of creativity and focus in being an ac but to be yeah, to get then get paid as a creative that was so you know by this point now so this is now 2000 year 2000 so i've been in the industry since 90 uh, since 88 so then it was like so it's like for me it was 13 years till i decided to do that then you know then it took you know, I did first film in 2004 that was by complete fluke that i got that you know but <laughs> by that point you know 
That's that's such a creative mindset. I, I worked for 13 years patiently and relentlessly, and it was a complete fluke that I got that. That's such a complete fluke. <laughs> There's a lot of luck going on. Yeah, you've got, to, you've got to like hopefully grab the right bits of luck. You know, make the right choices. Um, you know, there's so many, there's so many avenues in that's, that's the, that's the interesting factor. There's no true route. You can, you know, with perseverance, with, you know, you, you can keep growing your talent, your creative talent, you know, um, you just gotta, it's totally, you can't let it, you know, the, the uncertainty sides take over. Yeah. It's always going to be there, but you know, you just got to keep pushing on if that's what you want. This is what yeah. you want to do. What I found so far in talking to creatives of all kinds, you know, I mentioned before the show, photographers, designers, people in film, fear is always there. And it's it's a healthy fear. It's the kind of fear that, that keeps you moving. But, you know, as somebody who is in that situation that you're talking about now, sort of I'm in that, that 13 year period, if you will, it's easy to sometimes look and see, well, if I could just get to that thing, you know what I mean? Like I look at someone like yourself and I see like the output of work that you've had. And I'm like, well, if I'm sure he's like all good, you know what I mean? Like you get your name on, like the, you get some credits, you, you're on a big TV show that must like shore up all those grievances. But the more I talk to people, the more I realize that's kind of a, a fleeting thing. That's just something that people like myself think, you know, it's like you're, you're as a creative professional, you're always kind of moving to the next yeah. thing. I, I think those, yeah, it's the, 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 those, those feelings should happen. You know, they're, they're like, they're, even if you look back at them, you'll have them there. They, oh, that was that, that was a moment in my career where that job was great. That worked for me. That helped me get this, this, and this. It's a good feeling. At yeah. least you, know, you just have to like, you know, yeah, keep remembering those and keep moving forward. And that, you know, with the times that you don't have them, it's like, well, I need to, they will come again if right. I keep at it. You know, it, it is the fear is always there, but it does, and it does diminish. It, well, what diminishes is like, you know, go, okay, I think I could probably get work. That's a, it's a good thing at some level, but then it's like, well, the, your output, you got to put, you know, I need to put work into my output and think about that and make sure it stays at the level I want it to stay at and or if, if better, get better. I'm really enjoying where we are right now. You know, it's like with, it's with onset color and how we're sort of like, you know, trying to organize the, our workflow and timeline, you know, and to get the best out of it. It's just, you know, it's just it, it's like constantly chipping away at something to try and make something better. You mentioned before about becoming like a DP and about how like the film set works for somebody who is new to the film industry. One of the things I've always been curious about is the difference between the titles. Like when you see, like when they roll the credits at the end, there's director, executive producer, producer, um, director of photography. How does all that work? And what are the differences on the actual film set? Not so much on like the, the ranking structure, but on a film set. How does it work actually on the day? You mean yeah, on yeah. the actual day itself? Of yeah, like who talks to the actors? Who's like in the chair thing? How's that all? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's um, it's a great system how it all sort of comes into place. I mean, the, the amount of prep beforehand, you know, that's that whole, you know, it's, there's a ton of work going on, you know, with the, the, the producers getting it all together. You know, the writers, you know, getting the script, you know, getting all that stuff up to the point of shooting. So much work. You know, the costume people have to get the actors fitted. Da, 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 da. So, you know, on the day, you know, we, there's, there has to be respect for what's come before already. But, you know, you're there on the day and it's like all systems go. You've got, you know, what I've always loved about the film industry, there's your, there's your list uh, for the day and you've got to get through that. 
So it's like, you know, and, and every day is different. And um, so you've got, you've got the team of people, you know, the, led by the director who is, you know, is the number one in charge of the day. You know, that's what he or she or they wants to get out of the day. Num sitting right under there is the, the, the DP to sort of enable that, you know, and then his team underneath him, the, you know, the, the camera operator, the ACs, the grips, uh, the, the lighting, all that stuff, you know, all that information is getting like it's filtering down and all these things. I mean, a lot of it will again be in the prep, but on the day, it's like it's how it's the filter system, and everyone has to understand it's like a they call it call sheet order. Sometimes you know, you know where you are on the set if you look at the call sheet, right? It's like, you no, know, it's like you no know, uh, DP, and then it's like you no know, camera trainee. It's like so that guy has you know, a person has like all those people above them. Right. So like that's you've got that's the order you, of operations. You, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it just has to work like that. You know, and the AD governs whatever he that person is completely in charge of the whole set, health and safety, everything. The AD you know, that's right. that stands for the assistant director. Assistant director, okay. So first that's assistant right. director. <laughs> yeah, they're they're in charge of you know, they're in charge of the schedule and this and in charge of running the set. So even though the director is like in charge of what we're doing. The first AD is like the you know the, the sergeant major, right? You know, ev everything goes through that person. This is so cool. I'm like um, loving this because <laughs> they, they have to know. You know, it's like every shot. It's like background action. What's you know actors coming in? You know, it's like this. It's this. I, I mean, I could never do that job. I mean, there's so many things going on, but they you know, that type of person loves that. You know, and it's like you no, know, it's it's planned well. You know, it's still going to it's still it's still going to need adapting at the, on the times. A lot of people to look after. You know, they got all the background action. You know, on a, you know, on a big film, it could be you know you could have a thousand background extras. Right. And you're still controlling the set. Da, 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 da. It's an amazing job what they do. And you know, we're not, and from the DP's point of view, it's just it's the number of shots. You know, you, you know, this this a director can come to the set you know, with you know, a shot list, and you can tell when someone's like. Some people like live in a world of like the 50 shots. It's like, well, you know, maybe your average has always been 30. So we should, we should, you know, try and bring a shot list that's 30. Right. But, you know, it's what you have to, as the DP, you have to work. You should have worked that stuff out with your director already before you get there. You know, sometimes it's impossible, but, you know, having a, a target that's achievable is always is a good thing. You know, if you're going into the day, you're all on the same plan. You all know what you've got to do. As headless chickens, you're not going to get anything. So the, it's, the DP is holding the camera. Is that how that works, right? Like, or, or oh, so it well depends. Some DP. I mean, I operate, but um, I should are, know that's talking to you. But <laughs> you can, you, you know, a, a lot of DPs don't operate. They concentrate on, you know, there's there's the the lighting, the, the camera movement, the gripping. You know, working with the director, and so they there's there's sometimes there's DPs that do that and let their operators job operate the camera, right, all the time. Um, but I'm just not like that. I just like to be at the, I like to be with the camera. It's like an immediacy. I can uh, see things faster, react faster. Just, you know, um, I mean, that's where I've always wanted to be. So I, I just not being there, being behind the monitor, I feel a bit sort of removed. Yeah. And, you know, doesn't really suit my sort of style. I saw this image of you. This is great scene where. Elizabeth Moss is she is like running her fingers along the wall and there's a, a picture I found of you somewhere somewhere on the internet there's a picture of, of you holding up the camera and, and like the look on your face is like so dialed in I was like that's so cool there's sort of like a 
a real intimacy there. And it's funny because like when you're watching the show, you're not really thinking about that that actor who is there with a really big, huge, giant camera yeah. in their face. Right in their face. I mean, yeah, it's um, it's not for everyone. You know, actors, are, you know, again, all actors are different. Yeah. Elizabeth is, uh, I mean, I've been doing handheld all my career, but then when I met Reed Morano on Handmaid's Tale, and, you know, she is a master at handheld. And I watched, I just, it was suddenly, again, it was like, here's how, you know, we've been creeping along doing handheld like this for years. And it's like, all of a sudden, it was like, you can do it like this if you want. Right. Well, why wouldn't you? Is that because it got lighter? <laughs> like they got the, the rig got lighter? Is that why? Or? No, no, just no, it's the, her, her style, her intimate style that she has oh, okay. in handheld. It's like, the, it's a, there's a connectivity to the camera, to the emotion, to the actor. For me, I progressed in handheld because of her. Right. And, you know, um, I enjoyed Handmaid's Tale immensely because we could, you know, it, it suddenly became, the I was even more immersed in the story because the camera was like, you know, helping to tell the story as well in, in a way that I'd never done it before. So, yeah, so I, that, that face is like, I guess I had that face on a lot because I, I really enjoyed <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of why I ended up uh, reaching out to, to you and trying to find out more about it because I was a little bit late to the party. I was a huge fan of M Mad Men is my all time favorite show. And I loved yeah. Elizabeth Moss and, and Mad Men. Lizzie, I think, as you guys call her. But I, that's that's for you guys. You know, I, I think you have to be like actually friends there to say that. Otherwise, it just sounds pretentious. <laughs> but um, I loved her in, in Mad Men. I really thought that she like stole the show in Mad Men. Everyone credits, you know, John Hamm. But for me, Elizabeth Moss just absolutely was incredible, especially in episodes like the suitcase and stuff. And then my wife was watching The Handmaid's Tale and I would see these very like intimate, up close, almost like uh, like macro kind of shots that'd be so close up on the face. I was like, what what show is this? And then as I um, went on, I saw the, the lighting and there was sort of this etherical lighting. You know, I think about and I, I know that this is a, a scene that, <laughs> that you actually shot was um, kind of those early scenes where, where the. Um, the window in June's room sort of acts as like a, a halo and stuff like that. You know, there are, there are so many great scenes, you know, I'm talking about these intimate shots, but there are also these very, there's these long shots. One in particular is that basement scene. Uh, there was a great uh, YouTube interview that you did where you talked about how the lights would change as Lizzie went through the scene. Um, can you maybe talk about some of, of uh, we'll talk about that shot. Yeah, we, I mean, that was um, using uh, these new, brand new, well, no, they're not brand new. Um, they're called Asteria tubes. I can't remember which, which type. There's the, the, the LED tubes, and you, they're, they're, they're any color. They're completely controlled by uh, an iPad at that particular, on that particular show. You can put them through a board. They're wireless. So we could put those for this one shot. We, you know, we needed lights to be able to come up and down, fade up and down while we were doing the shot. Um, just try and get our, you know, the feel that we wanted. I think so. I think we had like seventeen different light cues in that one scene, where we, as we move around, lights would fade up, fade down, so it, you know, we could uh, play it as wides, close-ups. You know, the, the the whole shebang in that one shot. And you know, I'm really proud of it because you don't really, you don't even really see it as a one shot because it just, it's like you know, it's just a like a, a edited one shot is what it's like. It just goes from one to another, dum to dum to dum. Right. It was interesting. You know, one of my favorite scenes I think I've ever seen on television and movies in general is that Fenway Park scene. I know, I know that you had your, your hand in that, you were involved with that. Could you uh, talk about that scene and just for people that 
spoilers ahead on the big on the first episode i believe of season two, two yeah you guys hit the ground running with that scene so it really hard like, yeah and then yeah. all of a sudden she goes, she goes to this tunnel and then there's yeah, yeah. talk about that scene and how you oh, guys that was, yeah, that was mike barker um mike barker was the director on that episode and he uh mike's got a great energy and he really wanted you know say so he wanted to hit the ground running for yeah. the start of season two and, and with bruce's writing as well and so we went to Fenway Park. We actually went there. And I stood on the uh, on the on the grass there. Oh wow! And we could get a total feel of what you know. It's immense. It's you know, so we had to get the scale of what it was. There was a brief moment that we were going to shoot there, but then you know what we'd have to do to the state. We wouldn't have been able to do what we wanted to do to the stadium. We still would have had to do a lot of CGI. So in the end, it was you know, we we chose a, a baseball field up on a, a hill. I mean, I can't believe we found it. It was such a, again, a stroke of luck. The guys That's did so amazing. Cool. So, so you know, effects-wise, we could shoot this thing for real, you know, outside at night. I think it was over two nights. And then, you know, like where would the, uh, the stadium lights in Fenway be? It was like, okay, it was there, there, and there. Oh, this, okay, that, there wouldn't be that one. So we covered that uh, stanion in, in the, the park we were shooting in. Obviously, the lights were much lower and smaller. So they'd have to grow up, make them bigger for the real Fenway. But once we got the geography right and we knew where we were shooting and we were going to lay in Fenway, um, it was a fun shoot, you know, and then it was into, you know, so we had the big geography structure and we was like, you know, okay, we had that tunnel we had to come through because we shot that before we did the field. Right. But it was like, okay, we, we know what that is, where that's going to be. Um, so we put a green screen out of that and it was like, all I wanted was like, them to come into bright stadium lights. So out of a dark tunnel, and then, you know, that sort of, like when it's too bright, and that was the idea, when she comes out, yeah. it's too bright. And, and I wanted to, you know, Mike wants to come out with her and swivel around her and then see the um, uh, the nooses. Right. I think we almost got something like, in the edit, it's pretty close, but it's like, so it was, it was so connected that you just, you know, tunnel, Fenway, noose, you know, it was like, yeah. so you bring, and, and then it was right into, and then the performances that night, those nights were amazing. Yeah, absolutely then, incredible. They they totally sold it. I was freaked that scene. I like had to like pause it and go get a <laughs> go get a water afterwards. It's crazy. Wendy Hallam edited that, and she did a great job. And that choice of music, Kate Bush, which I think Mike chose, was just a great track, isn't it? You know, I can't I can't hear that track now without thinking of that scene. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But, um, yeah, the, the music is is incredible. There's so many great songs, and they're used in sort of this ironic way sometimes it's it's yeah. uh because it could be so dark and then all of a sudden it's like every day it's a yeah. so yeah. that's kind of cool all right well thank you for indulging me on my uh my handmaid's uh fanboy awesome. for that that scene that scene really was remarkable Thanks, this, man. yeah i'm very proud of it colin Watkinson, i'm telling you this guy is the man uh stay tuned for the rest of this episode this is really really fun i can't believe i got to talk to the director of photography for the handmaid's tale that's so crazy still can't get over it but real quick as promised i told you guys i was going to tell you about one more episode that i love from wireframe and this episode was called does peloton's design actually help you exercise more and it talks about the role of ux and fitness and about how it can help to sort of gamify working out and they talk about peloton and about you know using smart watches and stuff like that like the apple watch to uh, sort of gamify exercising and it's a really great conversation um, and it's talking about how we've come a long way from, you know, those VHS infomercials and about how UX can actually help us to get in shape 
And uh, it's a really great nuanced conversation about that. And it's really funny and fun. So check out Wireframe Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow them. It's an amazing show. Anyway, back to the episode. Thank you guys for listening. Here we go. Oh, you mentioned about editing. I know that a lot of times things are on the chopping block. I know like on your personal Instagram, you've shown some great scenes, which I was like, oh my God, why didn't they show that? And then that gets like cut. Can you maybe talk about that side of things? Because we've talked about like on location. In the TV world, again, if we're going to go back to structure, what we talked about earlier. Right. Right. There's the whole system still, there's the daytime structure and then there's a whole structure of the show. So, you know, once we've, on TV, in TV, once the director and the DP have delivered, you know, their sort of version and the director gets to put it together with the editor, he gets, I think they get four days. Um, and then it goes to the, then it goes to the, uh, the producers and they, they, do, they do their edit. Then it goes to the studio, you know, and, and with the editor, I mean, editors are, again, they're very interesting people how they can how, how they can work on a show on the scene again again daily and so intense and you know and, and really bringing out the story really sort of it's like trimming it down to get the time lights you know just and then it's the, the pace and the emotion and there's this you know and looking which way you can go there's so many ways to go um it's it, i'm always fascinated how it comes out yeah it's, you know, it's, it's, it is like a rebirth. I did a film with my friend in Florida in like 2015, something like that. And, you know, a real independent movie that we had no money. And um, it was, you know, the whole editing process of that film was fascinating. And, you know, eventually we got a guy in Richard Molina, who's an amazing editor. It was Damien Pitson was the director. And those two, you know, became best of friends as they, you know, crafted this film is re it's like you know, it gets birth in the in the script process then it gets birthed on the set and it has a rebirth you know in the edit room yeah absolutely. It, it's 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 amazing yeah that's so cool yeah and this is a question i've always wanted to know and I'm, I, i've never actually asked this question to someone uh, who's worked in film but i never really had the opportunity to so here we are when in rome when you're shooting it do you sometimes not exactly know the context and in, in which it sits because like the season is not out yet and like how do you go like i know obviously you're reading the script and stuff like that are you relying heavily on the script and then once you see it in the real world is that is that kind of what is that experience like when you see the finished product versus like how you envision it in your head is that must be kind of I mean, well that's the, the that's that's always the thoughts going through your head i guess it's like does this look like how i envisioned it at the time, not, you know, and it's, again, you know, there's a process coming. I get, I'm fascinated by the, the choices that I made. So, it, you know, I, I, so I look at that and for the future, it's going, okay, oh, so you do a shot that's 30 seconds long and you, it's, it's a beautiful shot and you see it in the edit and it's 15 and it misses the best bits out. And you go, oh. why is it 15? You go, you work it out when it needs to be that. It was too long, it was laborious, da, da, da. So the next time you do one, it's like, well, I know it won't, 30 is not going to make it. So I make it 15. And without simplifying it, but you, right. it, those sort of things you're looking for, again, it's just a learning process. It's just another part. You know, it's, you keep seeing, you know, you keep looking. There's, there's more and more things to find out. Yeah, about how you can make your craft. That's so cool, dude. This is like fascinating to me. This is kind of like minutia, the little like nuances of of the of the process that you don't really know about because you just. But it's funny you're, when your questions are going there with that, you know, and it's it's. I guess it's, it's they're not these aren't things that you think about on a daily basis. 
I'm I'm trying to do. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's a bit more sort of you know. So it's, but it's interesting. But it is certainly how it all how it all is. Yeah. You know. I just picture like the person who films like there. It's just this huge machine. Yeah. But, like they film a lot in my town. I, I live in uh, Suffern, New York, and they used our our town is just for whatever reason. I guess has a certain look, and I see these film production sets like um. They filmed uh, part of the Irishman is filmed in the town I grew up in, and there's so many people. It's yeah. they take over the whole town, and yeah. I, I can't help but think about the people who have this creative vision. How do you just turn that over and just know that that's going to be in the hands of so many people, and then it just comes out on the other end as this like polished. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I don't. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it, how it you know even when it, as it's coming together. You 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 go. How's this? Sometimes you go. How is this coming together? How is it? You, know, and you just you go to the set and you just go. I hope everything's there. Yeah, I hope we're gonna land this thing, right? Yeah. Does it ever feel like that? <laughs> yeah, it does. I've worked on many different types of um, formats and genres. You know, commercials, music videos, corporate. It's it's you know, and it, it's all the same. No matter the sizes go boom boom boom, but the the the, the structure's the same. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, this is so cool. <laughs> I'm learning so much today. What is the communication like between you and the, the person who, who is in this scene? That could change. Sometimes you could maybe not talk to someone or maybe you can. Like all, all it is, it's respect. And it's like, and if it has to have, we need to move forward. So you got all these people. So the first idea, we got to get, we got to get the actors in. We got to rehearse them. We got to get them out. Everyone's got to get the cameras in. Da, da, da. All these things have to happen, one thing after another, all concurrently, da, 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 to get to the shooting process. Communication-wise, it's you no. Know, you got the AD who's governing the show. It can't be a, a top. If it's chaos, nothing would happen. Right. So everyone, it's like listening. Do it's like who's listening to who, and then when we're ready to shoot, it's, it's everyone. It's settling. Everyone, it can, everyone just drifts back into the background. It was quiet. AD takes over the set. You know, there's no other talk. There's no talking then. It's well, there shouldn't be. It's like you know, it's like there's respect for the actors are coming in. Once everyone knows their position, it just kind of it's it's great to watch. It just happens, right, on the set. I remember I worked with Mike Figgis. He was directing, and I was his. Uh, I was a, an AC on his film. It was Miss Julie. It was, and Mike's rule was when he said cut, nobody move until he has spoken to his actors. He said. And he said, I mean it. Nobody move. Nobody say a word. Give me my, it'll be like, it'll only be a 30 seconds. He said, I'll give you that 30 seconds back. Because I know what you all, you all want your 30 seconds to do. Like we just said, over here, over there. And he said, I promise I'll let you have it. I need my time. And he, it was interesting how, you know, he focused his mind. Dump, dump, dump. Right. Off you go. And then run around. And then we're back <laughs> shooting again. That's so cool. Yeah, and it was it was interesting that and it, how he decided where he was going to slip his. He knows the process, and I'm going to change the process this little bit. And everyone with me, you have to tell everybody because this is you no. Know, everybody's got to listen. There's no one, you no know, no point. Some like a, someone like a, I don't know a grip being at the craft service eating away, talking away. Everybody had to do it, you know. And right, it was great. It was real teamwork. I think I'm officially going to become like a grip or something after this. This is like so cool hearing how all the, <laughs> it seems so fun. I would imagine that being in your position, you've worked on so many well-known shows, you know, Entourage, Handmaid's Tale. 
you probably get a lot of people that are, you know, my, my son is in film school or my daughter's in film school. And like, what would your advice be for them? Like getting in the door? Do you have any advice for people that maybe wanted to get a job working on a, on a, a real set like that? Or what's like the, what would you say is like the easiest way to kind of. Well, I think you have to decide it. which, which department you want to be in. Yeah. Now, you know, and then, and then you've got to sort of, you know, you hit those people up in those departments to get them to hire you, you know, at a PA level or whatever it is, or if you've got, you know, I guess there's, again, because it's very, it's very hard to sort of to broad stroke this because, you know, there's people in the art department with, you know, skills that they have to go to college for, you know, you know drawing skills or whatever, and they use, you know, and they're these people I had, and all throughout the, you know, the, the, the industry, there's hires that are very, you know, you have to be, it's very specific. But in terms of general, like if you want to go into camera, say, you know, you need to find, you know, ACs um, that will, you know, that will give you PA jobs. Uh, you know, maybe go to speak to, you know, in Canada, you can speak to the union because they have camera trainee situations that you can jump onto. So it's it's just finding out how, what the base, what's around you, where you are, where you live, what you can, um, what you, what your opportunities are. And then you've yeah. got to hit those people up and it's the phone calls and or whatever, however people communicate these days, you know, for me, it was phone calls and, you know, I would get, I would, you know, bring up ACs and DPs and you know, the next day you'd be working with someone and someone would say, Oh, Colin was on the phone last night. Cause I, you know, I would bring people up. I wanted, I wanted work, you know, it, it, by sitting there looking at the phone, wasn't going to get me any work. Yeah. And it was like, as embarrassing as it was, excruciating as it was, you know, and it's like, you still have to do these things today, you go meet people and, um, cause it's a very much a people person, people industry. You've got to keep meeting people and keep, as we you know, as we talked about earlier, the start, you know, do you know such and such? Oh no. Okay. Let's go and speak. You know, it's a, it's a constant process. Yeah. I think it, that so much of it is like those interpersonal skills and putting yourself out there and, I found that with this podcast, just reaching out, like as I was sitting there watching that show going, Oh my God, this is like the coolest cinematography I've ever seen. There's a, there's a voice in my head. That's like, you're never going to be able to get in touch with them. But then there's also this new side of my brain that I've developed. That's like, no, like it's like that Coldplay song. If you never try, you'll never know. That's, that's like my advice to people. It's like, you, you never know. And then I reached out to you and, and you got back and stuff like that. And, well, um, you know, being part of the, the ASC is when I went to the ASC, they, you know, the, the first one of the first questions they ask is, why do you want to be a part of this? And the ASC is, is a really strong in developing young talent. It has it has a responsibility to, you know, pass over all the, everything we've learned. And, you know, and, and I, feel, I feel that responsibility. So when people do reach out, um, that's what we have. You know, it's like, it's just, again, it's sharing. It's like, this is what we know. I'll, you can know everything, have everything. Yeah. It's, not, no, it's, it's, not worth, it's not worth keeping anything, is it? It's like, you know, we're all going to grow. Yeah. And it can be really nerve-wracking to know seemingly nothing. Like, it, I could very easily justify not talking to you because, well, number one, I don't work in film. Number two, I'm not necessarily, well, before this podcast, I wasn't planning on applying for film jobs. <laughs> but sometimes it's just like that natural curiosity. I, I think that that really translates. And I think that, People like yourself, I'm sure, get hit up a lot for opportunities, but so much of it is like the the intent behind what you say. Curiosity, is it? You know, being curious is great, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. Something that I've, I've recognized in, in terms of, of networking, and maybe you can speak to this too, is that 
Like winners win. A lot of times the people that are the most successful in their industry are like that because they wake up at 5 a.m. and like respond to their emails and stuff like that. I, I think that people have this impression like that people are constantly getting reached out to. They're not necessarily. And most people who are very successful are successful because they're like detail oriented and get back. There's, there's so many different um or you see there's so many different ways to with social media about organizing your career now it's like you know i am a bit lost at times but you know because it's so vast so it's so different to when i started out um you know and networking is different it's funny it sounds it sounds terrible it sounds like a terrible word networking doesn't it yeah it's a gross connotation it does doesn't it why is i I don't know where's that come from but it's (laughs) we should rename that because you know, it's uh, speaking to people is still really important. Connecting with people is still really important. It has like a computer connotation, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like kind of like very like you're using them. Not that at all. No. You know, you're constantly trying to find like-minded people that you know just because they, I want to work with that. You know, the people that you can connect with, and that's what you're. That's the constant sort of search. I mean, it, I guess you could show you say, you know what, I've got enough. I don't need right. any more. But I don't, I don't think that's how, I don't think anyone does that. Yeah. You know, when I was, you know, trying to, you, you try not to be a pain in the ass, but you're trying to be helpful. I'm, I'm here to, I'm here to learn and here to be helpful. How can I help you? Yeah. You know, um, and it's like, well, I don't need any help right now. Thank you. Moving on. You know, and then or, you just remain their friend. Yeah. But yeah. And then, and then, and then it's like, and then three months down the line, it's like, no, they need help. It's like, well, that person is still available. Right. You, know, you get a call, you go, you still around? Yeah. And yeah. boom. And, you know, maybe there was like one little phone call in the meantime. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks. Yeah. Just checking up, check, check it in. Right. You know, just constantly keeping, I don't know. In, I mean, social media, that's so easy just to send a little like, Hey, how you doing? But today's social media, there's so many ways of doing that. Yeah. Without being creepy. Yeah. You don't want to be too, there, there's a fine line there. It's sort it's sort of an art. I actually befriended some of the guys from um, the killers, the band, the killers. I love them. Yeah. And uh, Rob Loud is their photographer who lives in Brooklyn. And yeah. then now I'm friends with um, Stephen Douglas, who is their lighting and sound design guy, the guy who does all like the pyrotechnics and all the lights and stuff like that. Well, that's and, cool. and we've we've maintained just a casual, chill, fun relationship on Facebook. Yeah. But, you know, down the road, who knows? Maybe we'll get some tickets, but that's not that's not <laughs> why I'm <laughs> He knows that's not why I'm friends with him. You know? He went there so quick. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just a, it's just a long play. No, I'm just kidding. I, I love them both. It's funny because initially you kind of do have this motive, like like I'm gonna keep in touch with this guy, and then when the killers come to the garden, I'm gonna be on the side of the stage, like somebody told me that you had a book. So, but now I'm actually genuinely friends with them. So the joke is on me because now he he gained another friend, and I probably won't get the tickets. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this has been so much fun, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. That's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you also subscribe and rate and review and leave a nice comment for Wireframe Podcast. I love that podcast. I am really happy to be partnering with them. Uh, It's a great show and you'll learn a whole lot. If you're a creative of any kind, Wireframe Podcast with Koi Bin, go check it out. And you have yourself a great week. Peace.